Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to 2022. And she's back. Amanda is back for episode two of season five, which is all about cops and robbers. And I think when we talked about what we were going to do, this is one of the first films that came to mind. I think when you decided that you wanted cops and robbers, and we are going to cover the, well, might be spoiler alert, the quite wonderful 1987 film, Lethal Weapon, starring, well, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson and others. But we'll come to that when we when we look into Roll Call. Anyway, here's the trailer. He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. They really want to jump. Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the He was ready to retire. Now, he's going to wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? <laughs> Too old for this. If these guys can just stand each other. What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't kill anybody. Don't kill anybody. I'm too old for this. Are you as good as you say you are? Nobody can touch me. Suppose we better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Um, that is a good trailer. <laughs> it's all right, isn't it? It just sets the film out nice. It's got that that like xylophone bit. I don't know if it's xylophone or whatever, but it's got that thing that they use for all the lethal weapons. So as soon as you hear that those little bars at the start, the ding 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 ding, you you know it's lethal weapon. Oh dear, I, I'm not um, okay with that. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa. I haven't seen them very often. You've seen the others though, have you? How many are there? Four. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know until I watch let, them. Let me guess. I was walking past <laughs> in the lounge and it was on. Um, yeah, doubtful because then 1989 was Lethal Weapon 2, um, uh, which, we'll get, we, which we cannot not mention uh, when we talk about this. But anyway, um, seeing as it's lovely to have you back, and it is lovely. Mm-hmm. To have you back please what is your score and why well okay i just want to say thanks for having me back and uh thank but you to ha- guys uh, what do you mean having you back <laughs> well, i you, didn't know if i was out of a job you're Not part, like part of the podcast anyway. oh the others are great the others were wonderful as yeah, you can I, see you can just go yeah. and look, listen to the podcast yeah but um but nice. yeah 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 it was nice to have people that you could you know um continue the the podcast with and um very entertaining podcasts I yes. might say thank yes. you guys for stepping in um so um yeah I was uh just recovering from a bout of covid unfortunately and it, it took me down um um so yeah it, it, you know I'm still having some after effects but um I'm I'm 
happy um, and thankful to be back to near enough full health. Not that I was that healthy anyway, but, you know, able to walk around without getting out of breath now, which is always a bonus. Um, okay, so uh, my score. Do you know what? I haven't actually given it a score on my pad. What? Oh, this is going to be a live, a live. Oh, it's, it's alive. It's alive. It certainly is alive. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to give it seven and a half. <laughs> seven and a half? Mm. Okay. Um, the, 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 the person who's got the mark already sorted, i.e. me, is going, why seven and a half? It's a good feel. Yeah. Yeah. But all right, okay. It was entertaining. I think some of, some of the some of the stuff was a bit far fetched, wasn't it? Really? What, what from your eighties action film? Yeah, that that bastion of uh, truth and accountability <laughs> and, and realism. Yeah, I mean, we just covered somebody being thrown off a you know, well, what shenanigans Bruce Willis gets up to in Die Hard? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, wow, seven and a half. Well, mm. I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get into it. It was a bit light touch. Wasn't it? What? I think, well, the whole thing about you know the heroin industry and stuff, and uh, you know the—that's not the focus. Wait, wait, mm. We'll get into it. That's not the focus of this film. What do you mean it's not the focus? It's not the focus of the film. There's so many other different things going on in the film. Well, obviously the characters, yeah, yeah. But oh, okay. Um, I'm going nine. Nine. Um, yeah, and. Uh, well, it's not a million miles away from your seven and a half, but it's one and a half points. That's well, that's not a million miles. Well, it's uh, a not lot. How, it's not Howard the Duck territory. Oh, but, God, uh, no. well, which is again, may I remind you from last year, it's above average film in your scoring. Thank you. Um, I will never let you forget that. Um, it's nine. The reason the reason it isn't a ten is because the Lethal Weapon Two is better. Um, and I think it's genuinely considered the better film, despite the fact that this being, I think, pretty much groundbreaking in the 80s. Well, it's quite good because it sets the characters up, doesn't it, for sequels? It sets up. It's. It, I think it carries on. It's The legacy carries on. It's that iconic that when everybody goes, oh, yeah, well, the buddy cop film, everybody without question comes back to, oh, well, how good is it against Lethal Weapon? Is it like Lethal Weapon? Because before this nobody had nobody i think had mastered that the buddy cop that there, there were partnerships out there of course there are like french connection and you know things like that but we're talking about entertaining action good writing which we'll get to in in roll call um mm. we're just you know it it's just great and it still holds up now it still holds up you've got mel gibson with his beretta um, which John McClane had exactly the same gun in Die Hard. So there's all these like tiny little, tiny little things that mm-hmm. aficionados will, will look at. But it's nine. If there was no Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 2 had tanked, it'd be a 10. But the fact is, I know that there's a better Lethal Weapon film out there, uh, which slightly edges it. Three is a, mm, uh, and four is not forgettable, but. Which is the one where he's on a houseboat. On a houseboat? Yeah. Uh, it's on a houseboat. 
uh, I thought he's already had the caravan. The caravan gets shot up in Lethal Weapon 2 oh. quite badly. Uh, well, yeah, blown up, really. Um, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. You obviously have a tiny little memory of him being on a houseboat. But uh, it would make sense. If he likes caravans, then he's going to choose something. Rest to the water. <laughs> right. Well, we've got we've got a lot to discuss. I know. Uh, Iraqal. So and we... it's New Year's Day after and a heavy it, heavy it is party a, night. And look, seriously, it was a it was a very large night last night. It's rather large. I think it's about two o'clock, two half two or something like that. I don't know. Well, I got to bed at three. Oh well, then it's three then. Okay, well I just lost count. No, you fell asleep at half two. Did I? Right. Okay. What at the table? No. Oh, I don't remember that. Right. Anyway, half two. Rather large. Let's uh, on that bombshell. Let's go neatly into roll call. Here's roll call. Roll call. Now I don't think we do this enough, and I think season five we make a change. Because we do brush against it now and again, where we talk about the director and we talk about, you know, what things. The unsung hero of Lethal Weapon is the writer. Um, the, the writer brings that sort of, I mean, this is pre-Tarantino, but brings that sort of Tarantino-esque style dialogue, which makes all the types of films that he uh, he, he writes for stand out. And to the point where, I mean, we'll get to it in a moment. Um, his later films, if you didn't, if you didn't know anything about it, you watch that and you go, "That's a Shane Black film." Yeah, because after a while, you get the the rhythm and the tone and the writing mm-hmm. of you know of, of what he's trying to do. Shane Black, for those who don't know, and I know that you are most definitely one of those people that don't, doesn't know. Whatever makes you say that? Oh, because well, I'll tell you what, give me any other film that Shane Black. <laughs> Right. No, I'd leave the right. weapon too. Well, you're right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Good guess that one. Stum- stumbled in. He wrote three and four, by the way, as well. Um, but not very well. Uh, well, <laughs> y- yes. I mean, the things that are wrong with that film is, isn't the dialogue. Because by that time, by Lethal Weapon 3, these two are cemented. Because of the stuff they went through in Lethal Weapon 2 was just, oh, just giving ting- oh, spine tingling. But it's it's wonderful. Shane Black, um, for those who don't know what he looks like, uh, was Hawkins in Predator. Um, so he is um, doesn't doesn't have doesn't have much of an acting role. Occasionally, I think he just has walk on and credited. He even got an he's a he's even in the Hunt for Red October. He plays uncredited crewman uh, on the Reuben James, uh, which is the uh, um, American vessel. Uh, so he's there. But the writing. So we've got Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4, mm-hmm. Monster Squad, which is an, a, a vastly underrated film. It's the, what? Monster the, Squad? The Monster Squad. Yeah, it's got Never Dracula, France, Frankenstein, the werewolves. It's kind of like a like a fun Mixed type match. film. No, it's, it's, it, it's fun. It's fun type of film. Okay. Then we've got The Long Kiss Goodnight which we talked about with Gina Davis, Samuel L. Jackson, hmm. The Last Boy Scout with uh, um, Bruce Willis. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen that, it's amazing. The Last Action Hero, which sent up the whole action genre mm-hmm. where with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, then you've got Iron Man 3. You can tell because Iron Man 3 has some snappy dialogue in it because it has to, because there's not much action in the middle. 
there's action at the start, there's action at the end. There ain't an awful lot that's going on in the middle. So you have to have that type of uh, a thing. And then what I was referring to is that when you when you hear that dialogue, um, he wrote Kiss Kiss Bam Bang, which I know you're going to say, that sounds a bit rude. But it, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, what is not to like? What? How can that fail? And guess what? Spoiler alert, it doesn't. It delivers. And I've got a feeling I want to watch Kiss Kiss, Kiss, Kiss Bam Bam before the weekend's out. But anyway. It's got Robert Downey Jr. in it. I, I'll easily get it past you. You'd be like, oh, oh, what? Yeah, 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 I'll fawn over, fawn over. Oh, um, hello to Robert Downey Jr. We know he listens to this podcast. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening, Robert. Um, just a shout He's out. He's not listening to the podcast. He's listened to it since chances are. Really? Yeah, I, I think so. That. I just know, you know. You have a, <laughs> call it a Peter Tingle or whatever from uh. Spider Man. Do you remember um, that? Call it Peter Tingwell. Yeah, that sounds a bit rude. I, I, I can just see Joe sat there now going, and Amanda doesn't know what the Peter Tingle is. Anyway, um, but so I we have you said Spidey Sense. Well, because they call it something different, and and he doesn't like what they call it, and Happy calls it that. Aunt May calls it that. And anyway, mm. let's get to the director because I think the director needs a needs a shout out. He di- he started his acting his uh, directing chops. On the banana splits, his name's Richard Donner. Na, 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 yeah, but he directed one of your favourite horror films of all time. Not The Omen. He did. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, Richard Donner, The Omen. No, I, I, I nearly, nearly, when I was poorly in bed, I nearly put that on. But then I thought, oh, God, no, I can't do that because... I've got a high temperature and I'm having really bad dreams as it is. I don't really <laughs> want to bring back my memories of being like an eight, nine-year-old girl. You have a head, have a, um, somebody the having their time. head cut off with a yeah, piece of glass. Head yeah, chopped off. I Although it, prob- it probably isn't that scary now because it's probably so dated that oh, all the scary. effects will be a little bit crap. I, I think it's still scary. I, I think it'd still be scary, scary really? in the same way that The Shining's still scary. Yeah, The Shining is pretty, yeah. I, I am part intrigued about trying to watch it again, though. But I, the, the fear that, that puts me off is having recurring nightmares again because I don't really want to go through that. Well, look, I'll hold your hand, sweetheart. I'll be there, right? I'll 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 take on the Antichrist for you. It's fine. <laughs> don't worry. Nothing, nothing I haven't done before. Anyway, right. So, um, mm-hmm. Richard Donner, <laughs> Superman. Directed the best Superman film with the best Superman in it, with Christopher Reeve. Uh, famously, he starts directing Superman 2. They don't like his direction, what he's doing. They chuck him off the film uh, and put somebody else in charge. And then years later, they resurrect Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, which changes an awful lot. Um, some, some of the changes are welcome. Some of the changes, not so welcome. Um, I think I speak, uh, I'm going to speak for you now, Joe. Um, from WD WNT Nerd Alert. Yes, well I, done. You thank got you, the alerts in the right you. order there. Thank well you. done. <laughs> but but it's little really taken. How many years? Yeah, but little things. I know. But little things like in Superman two. I remember watching that in the cinema, um, and where he has uh, Ursula General Zod and the other guy. I can't remember his name. Um, in in the Daily Planet, Superman comes to the window and goes, "General, care to step outside?" And you're like oh, it's going to be epic. They're going to have a massive scrap outside. Whereas in the Richard Donner cut, he doesn't say that. He just goes, 
haven't you ever heard of a free press? Or, or don't you believe in the idea of a free press? It's just like, what? It's ridiculous. Anyway, Richard Donner, Lady Hawk, which we will cover at some point. I know, uh, Sarah, if you're listening, I know you definitely wanted that covered. The Goonies, Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4, Scrooged, which I love every year, uh, and Maverick with Mel Gibson. Have um, you watched Scrooged this year? Uh, I did, yeah. I watched oh. it while you, while you were ill. Oh, when I was ill. All right, okay. I was downstairs watching Scrooged. I feel like I've lost two weeks, potentially three weeks of my life. They've kind of gone into this kind of... What, called being, li- being ill? Void of feeling really rubbish. Yeah, it's okay. really weird. Well, let's get to the let's get to the 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 actors, the actors. Okay. Mel Gibson. Um, not counting Lethal Weapon and not counting Maverick. Give me three of the films that, uh, Mel Gibson's in. Dun, dun, dun. There's no timer. Wasn't he in the one about? You're gonna pick a really obscure one now, aren't you? Jesus. Just kind of been like the Passion of the Christ. No, he directed it. Oh, he directed that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Does that okay. count? Uh, as an actor, no. Oh, it's got to be in it, right? It's got to be in it to win it, right? Yeah. Mel Gibson. Yes, I can't believe one of them is it's like you know tapping you around the head and going. Nineteen seventy nine, he made three of them. Nope. Can have a bit of dead air. Seventy nine. Mad Max. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really. Only, only, I wasn't only the film that made him famous, but I wasn't really into oh. that though. Well, uh, when I was researching the roll twice. call, when I was roll call, uh, I looked and he started on a TV show called The Sullivans, which uh, regular listeners will know. I don't know why The Sullivans comes up occasionally on the podcast, but I remember I used to go to my nan's for lunch. And the Sullivans would be on. And it was a story of an Australian family after the war. Mm. Mel Gibson was in that. And when you go and YouTube it, just type in the Sullivans, Mel Gibson, there's only one clip. And even then you can see there's something about this guy that makes you think he's going to, there's, there's something about him. I think he's going to be big. Turns out he was. We have Mad Max uh, 2 Mad Max two and 3, Beyond Thunderdome. We have Gallipoli, uh, which he's uh, in charge. Then Lethal Weapon, which puts him through the the stratosphere. Um, I know the director, uh, Franco Zeffirelli, uh, who directed Hamlet, uh, when he saw Mel Gibson's suicide scene, I know this is a bit trivia time, but when he saw him um, struggling with his uh, feelings and wanted to kill himself, uh, he thought he this guy's got the, um, you know, the, the acting prowess in order to take, I found Hamlet, I found my Hamlet. And I always remember in 1990 going, what? Mel Gibson playing Hamlet? Is this, is this some sort of misprint? Mm. And he was so good in that. I mean, I have a very high bar because Hamlet's my favourite Shakespeare play. But he was... Check he's you out, Mr. Favorite. Culture. Of course, I, I don't just limit myself to <laughs> 80s films. Um, for those for those uh, watching on YouTube, which you should, I've got my little pinky up while I drink my... Uh, I drink my can of can of uh, no, it's nothing. Uh, Franco Zeffirelli, in fact, uh, directed Romeo and Juliet. He did. That's very good. I uh, thank you very much. My good. Really- so you couldn't get a Mel Gibson film, but Franco Zeffirelli 
we've got the foremost ex- expert with us. Aren't we lucky? It's a very classic version of Romeo and Juliet. And oh, it's we lovely. Had to, we had to watch that in our English literature class at school. And we had to then read Romeo and Juliet. And then we had to compare and contrast as an essay right. for, for both of them. And then come to a conclusion as to um, what the pros and cons were of both and yeah. what we preferred and, and, and actually liked. And to be perfectly honest, I think, uh, and this goes, this goes for films, basically. It's, you know, the, the art of visual uh, storytelling. Mm. Um, you, you've got audio in there as well. Um, and uh, it becomes a very fixed kind of representation of, of a story and, and what people okay. are trying to say or what the director wants to kind of get across, really. Yeah. Whereas with a book uh, or a play, uh, the written word, you have your own imagination. Um, so they they can be compared, but I think one gives you a different experience to the other. And I think you would probably say that um, with, with Jaws as well, wouldn't you? See, drop that one in there. Um, the okay. movie, because the book was actually quite different to the movie, wasn't it? Or, or See, gave I, I a lot would, more information than yeah. the movie. Oh, it's all about the mafia and the fact that everything's shut down and Brody's having a uh, Ellen Brody's having a um an affair with uh Matt Hooper. So you didn't see that. No, you don't. And the, the action on the sea is probably done in about three pages. Mm. And they keep coming in every night rather than staying out. Right. So uh, there's part of me that's just I would love to see that filmed one day. I, I would love to, but I would I wouldn't want it to be the weird thing is I wouldn't want it to be a remake of Jaws. Yeah. I, I want them to keep, keep exactly. I don't want special effects. I don't want realism. I just want the, the, the characterizations on that. But mm. Sorry, we went a bit off topic. Yeah, no, just a little bit. Um, the whole sort of film versus written well, word. Well, I remember said on that, on that last note, and it's still filmed, so don't worry, readers or listeners. Listeners, readers. Readers. Um, well, I don't know, because we're going to try and caption this. So maybe we have oh. readers in the future. Who knows? But um, people that... that uh, I remember the Franco Zeffirelli, Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And my favourite character after Hamlet, and a very, very close second, is Mercutio. Mm. I just think he's my... He's just a wonderfully well-written, well-acted character. And in that, I think he's brilliant. Mm. Um, I didn't so much care for the, uh, the guy in... Uh, who played him in 1996 DiCaprio version. Oh, the Baz Luhrmann film. Yeah. I mean, that was just a, I, I think that's a bit of a mess and just doesn't know what it wants to do. But, but yeah, that, I think that's brilliant. It's anyway. trying to be a little bit avant-garde, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. The- well, it's trying to be a Baz Luhrmann film and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Anything that brings Shakespeare to, to a new, new audience. Mm. But fine. Great. Knock yourself out. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, back to Mel Gibson. We have we, we after, after Lethal Weapon. He does t- he does some turkeys. He does Tequila Sunrise. He does Bird on a Wire. Oh God, yes. And both of those films are own. awful. Oh. I mean, Tequila Sunrise is a absolute mess of a of a film. It just doesn't know what it is. Oh, it's painful. And you've got Kurt Russell and Michelle Pfeiffer and Mel Gibson. Why shouldn't that work? Yeah. But it doesn't. 
Uh, then obviously you get the breakout that a lot of people are remembering for, but a breakout. Here's me saying it's yet another breakout. That's how good Mel Gibson is, I think. You've got Braveheart. Then he makes films like Ransom, which is so good. He's so good in that film. Uh, Paycheck, he's the voice of Rocky in Chicken Run, of course. Is he? He is. Yeah. Uh, he was in Signs. That genuinely amazed me, that film. Um, the M. Night Shyamalan film. Have I uh, seen that? Uh, I don't think so. It's the one with the aliens. Mm. And he's he's out in the Midwest. In, in his, it's got Joaquin Phoenix in it. Just everyone's good in that. So good. Um, if you want a good comedy... Uh, Mel shows he can keep doing you can keep alternating you've got What Women Want uh, which I thought was great um, a great film you've got him in Daddy's Home 2 uh, which is brilliant uh, oh wonderful um, and of course he sent himself up slightly in Expendables 3 but that's great that's just because it's Mel Gibson on to Danny Glover um, he started in Silverado with Kevin Costner so that's a good start for me from a Kevin Costner point of view, but he's also um, in Predator Two. Plays the main main character in Predator Two, and he's so good in that. I think Predator Two is is one. Of, I mean, nothing beats Predator. Predator is a ten out of ten film. Um, spo- spoiler before we, <laughs> we do it, but I don't think anyone will remember by the time we get to it. Is it an eighties um, film? Is it what Predator? Is what? A, is it a what film? Eighties film. It is, 1987. Oh, I yeah. thought it was in the early 90s. No, no, no. Way ahead of its time. But he's Predator 2. He's in a film called Grand Canyon with Steve Martin and, and others. That's all right. <laughs> uh, he was in Maverick. He played a bank robber where Mel Gibson's in the bank. Danny Glover comes in with a with a, a shawl over his face, like a bank, an old-style Wild West bank robber. Hmm. And while he's holding up, he then looks at Mel Gibson and Mel Gibson looks at him and goes, and he pulls his thing down and he goes, is that you? And there's this realisation that they're Murtar and Riggs just for this, just for that split second. Love that. Brilliant. And only the director went, well, why not? Let's just put it in. Um, you got him in the Royal Tenenbaums. I don't like films like that. Uh, in 2012 with John Cusack, he played the president. Uh, and most recently he was in Jumanji, The Next Level. Uh, so yeah, with Danny DeVito, they are the characters that get transported, the older characters. So yeah, Gary Boosie, Mr. Joshua, uh, big break in, oh, big break on Big Wednesday, the very famous surfing film. Uh, he also played Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story. Um, he was the bad guy, but on the good guy side in Predator 2, there they are reunited. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a pappas in Point Break with Keanu Reeves. Um, the guy, the the mentor, um, he's great. And of course, Under Siege Two. Uh, sorry, Under Siege Two. Under Siege on the uh, battleship. Ah, it's just great. Under Siege is that with um, Tommy Lee Jones, name? Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. Uh, Mitchell Ryan played the general. Uh, he was Kyle Riker, so he was uh, Will Riker's dad in Star Trek. He appeared in one episode. Uh, he was in. Are you ready for this, retard? You're going to love this. He was in Aces, Iron Eagle Three, <laughs> of which there are four. 
no. There are four iron eagles, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, well, I, I, I feel an iron eagle too coming along maybe down the line. Oh, uh, not for a while. <laughs> that's, a, that's such a shame. You might have to get a guest guest on for that. Uh, anybody listening who wants to do Iron Eagle 2, you are more than welcome. Um, I'd say it's a poor man's top gun. It's not even following the same storyline. No, well, Iron Eagle 2 isn't as good as Iron Eagle, but Iron Eagle is better oh, than Top Gun. Definitely not watching it then. Iron Eagle's better than Top Gun. No, it isn't. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's not. God, there's so much wrong with Top Anyway, so much wrong with Top Gun. Anyway, uh, it was in Hot Shots Part 2. Uh, it was in Liar Liar. And he had one of the best lines in the John Cusack um, uh, mini driver film, Gross Point Blank, mm. where he played her dad. And John Cusack comes in at the end and goes, what business are you in? He goes, what business are you in, son? John Cusack goes, uh, the, the contract killing business. He goes, ah, great, good. It's a growth industry. And puts his paper up and just went, I love that line. It's just a great line. Anyway, Tom Atkins, who played my, um, Michael Huntsecker, the dad of Amanda Huntsecker. Yes, he uh, died at the start. Yeah. yeah, so he was big with Tom with John Carpenter for a while. So he was in both The Fog and Escape from New York. Uh, he's also a maniac cop. He's an escape from... He was. And New York. I, did, I, I knew you'd ask me that, and I put a little marker to... to to go and research it and I didn't but he's <laughs> but he's in it that's all you need to know <laughs> anyway we need to we need to keep we need to keep going Maniac <laughs> Cop uh he was also Dr Menk from the Menk Clinic in Bob Roberts why does that film keep coming back it's a night it's a 1992 film we shouldn't really be talking about it but it's like Howard the Duck it crops up on podcasts all the time please watch Bob Roberts if you haven't watched Bob Roberts please make it a new year's resolution. I haven't watched Bob Roberts I know well you, yeah you, but well, and let's just add it to the list. We've got the Omen, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and Bob Roberts. Now no, that's what I call that's what I call a party. Um, Darlene Love, uh, Mrs. Murtor, Mrs. Murtor. Uh, she sang "All Alone at Christmas," which is the Christmas song, which is going uh, all the way through Home Alone too. Lost yeah. in New York. So yeah, that's her. So she's singing it. She sings it very well. She was in Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4. Um, Jackie uh, Jackie Swanson, who played Amanda Huntsecker. Uh, mm -hmm. The only thing of note that she did, uh, my favourite ever sitcom of all time, uh, she played Kelly in Cheers, uh, Woody Harrelson's um, girlfriend. Oh, it's just so good. She's, she's great. Uh, uh, Damon Hines plays uh, Nick, Roger Murtaugh's youngest son. Nick. He, but then a year a year later, uh, he's in Scrooge. He plays the kid who who hasn't spoken since he saw his dad die. Hmm. And I thought that was that was pretty good. Um, and then from Die Hard, there are Die Hard alumni, or rather, they starred in this film and then went on to do Die Hard. So you had Mary Ellen Trainer. She played the psychiatrist. Um, she played Gail Weathers, uh, not Gail Weathers, um, uh, the newsreader in Die Hard. And Al Long, the guy, the uh, Chinese guy, the Japanese guy mm -hmm. uh, with the long moustache, uh, who Bruce Willis pumps about 50-odd bullets into him um, at the top of the... Uh, we're trying to get to the top. Anyway, let's get to the film. So that's Roll Call. Oh, on the helipad. On the helipad, that's the one. Yeah. So... 
this film just works uh, right from the start. It grabs you. Why is this girl who's um, doing drugs? Why is she? Um, why does she throw herself off the off the side of the building onto the cars below? Why does she kill herself? Um, I, I I think the way that this film sets itself up is you go from that, then you cut to Murtagh's birthday, Roger Murtagh's birthday, Danny Glover's mm. birthday. You see his family life, and then you're introduced to Riggs. And I know this sounds a bit like trivia time coming on, but there's three filmed introductions to Riggs. And if you watch the director's cut, they just put them all in. Um, and a lot of people say that doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense that you have three introductions to Riggs. In this film, in the, the accepted film, it's the one where he's trying to buy, well, he's trying to set people up by doing the drug deal surrounded by the Christmas trees. But the one, the, the version, one of the versions we saw uh, was he saved some kids from a sniper. Um, and I just think it's, it's such a juxtaposition between Myrtle's family life, all nice and serene, his family love him, uh, dote upon mm. him. He dotes upon them. And then you cut to this like loose cannon who's pretty much got things wrong with him. And we know he's got things wrong with him and it sets it up really early. Um, I, 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 how did you think the film opened? I mean, how did you think the film tried to introduce the characters? Well, to be honest, it's years and years since I've watched this. Um, well, it was two days ago. No, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> God, um, so how did I think it was odd because it started off with Jingle Bell Rock? Yeah. Because yeah. Christmas is obviously supposed to be quite, you know, well, not obviously. Christmas is very uh, a family happy time for people, mm. but it's also um, uh, a very lonely time for some people and a very yeah. desperate time as well. So I think it was very clever doing that. Um, I wouldn't say it was a Christmas film as such. It's Ooh. just happened to be filmed. It's got Christmas during... running all the way through it. Yeah, but topic-wise, it isn't about Christmas, <laughs> is it? Not a lot of snowmen. It's just happened that... to be at Christmas time. <laughs> but the whole event. You, you are veering place. into very dangerous territory well, because then you're I talking know. about Die Hard. Some people say it's Die a Hard. Film. Die Hard's Christmas film. Uh-huh. Done. Solved. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, it does set the characters up very well. Um, you see the um, the sort of fragile nature of um, Riggs. You see something that's, you know, obviously drug induced uh, from Amanda, and then you you do see that really nice family environment because they're celebrating. Um, it's fiftieth birthday. Uh, Rogers. Oh, you always do that. It was. Oh, sorry. I thought you. Were, no, sorry. Yeah, um, they're celebrating Roger's fiftieth birthday. They burst in on him when he's in the bath, <laughs> and the bath will become very relevant in *Lethal Weapon* too. Oh, oh, I've seen that one. Yeah. Is that with the bomb? The <laughs> quick get into the bath. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I do remember that one. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So. Um. He's, he's, Riggs has obviously got post-traumatic stress disorder from Vietnam. His wife's passed on. 
due to being killed in a car crash. So he's had a lot of um, moments and experiences to deal with, I suspect. So it, they've called him crazy, but he isn't actually crazy. He's just having to compute a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel like he's got a very good support network because he lives on his own. He's got his dog, but you don't see anyone else part of his life. Whereas, you know, Roger, you see him having a very good family life and, you know, very supportive wife and everything that Riggs hasn't got, basically. So they're very polar opposite in that sense, socially. Um, uh, Roger's due to sort of potentially take early retirement. So I think he just wants a bit of an easy, easy ride with. Yeah, because he's too, he's too old for this. Uh... I'm too old for this. Yeah, I didn't realise because like in the trailer we keep saying I only thought he said that like once or twice, but it's actually at least four times in the trailer. Oh, it's loads in Lethal Weapon Two. So yeah, it's. it's Can you add that to the list, by the way? Can you add Lethal Weapon Two to the list? Can we watch that? And what year was that? Uh, Eighty nine. Oh right, okay. I took um. Uh, yeah, I took a I took my date to see that. Mm-hmm. Very nice, Kirsty. Um, Kirsty Youngman. Just in case, on the off chance that you listen to it, and used to go to Morton Hall School. Yes, that was me. Mm. Lovely. My first uh, <laughs> cinematic date, although it wasn't really like a proper date date. I was only about twelve. Was uh, going to see Mannequin. Uh, did you mention that in the podcast? Yes. Did you? I can't. Mm. Well, I must have missed that. 12? Hmm. 12 isn't a date. Well, it was kind of. Was I 12? 12. What year was Mannequin? Hang on. 87. Uh, 74. Yeah, I was 13. Hmm. Teenagers, eh? Yep. There yeah. you go. Right, okay. Did, he, did, so. did, did your date do the whole arm up and pretending to yawn? And Did he put his arm around you? It's that long ago, babe. Probably yeah, well, Mannequin not. was so good, you just couldn't remember, really. That's fine. Something like that, anyway. Um, can I, can I, not, I know, you, just in case you might have something else, I think it's it very quickly moves to, uh, you know, Roger, Danny Glover, getting get a message, oh, Michael Huntsecker tried to contact you. And mm. he's, it's like, oh, God, I, I didn't know that. You then get to the crime scene where he finds out it's Amanda Huntsecker and he goes, he puts two and two together. Oh my God, I need to phone him. Straight after that scene, you get Mel Gibson's suicide scene. You get the attempted suicide scene. And it's like going, this film is going to keep going. It's it, It's got a lot to fit in and it's mm. got a lot to do. And it's got, it's, forget about the, the the stuff that's going on around you. We have to cement these two characters and we have to, to show you just how much, how, how unlike each other these mm. two characters are. Um, he's got a special bullet, which he reserves, takes the bullets out of his gun. He's got a special bullet reserved. He misses his wife so much, so much. Um, and you've got this alone, as you talked about, this alone mm. feeling. He's got nothing to, you know, he feels without his wife, he's got nothing to live for apart from the dog um, and doing his job. Um, but, Wow, that's such a powerful scene, I think. Mm. The emotion that he's got. Yeah, I I, kind of just moving on from that. I didn't realise that the film was called Lethal Weapon because of him. Oh, because you... I'm reading your tagline there, you know, two cops. Glover (laughs) carries a weapon. Gibson is one. Gibson is one. 
He's the only LA cop registered as a lethal weapon. Yes, and you I didn't realise that. Title Claxon. Yeah, I oh. didn't realise that. I hadn't picked that up originally in the film. Right. Okay. And look at the uh, look at the rating eighteen. These days, that the, today that's an eighteen, t- is it? It's an eighteen. Right. It was on the. Um, oh, it's been. Version we, we watched it was fifteen. It's so re- did we watch a, a watered down? No, no, no. It's revised. Oh. A lot of films are revised. So Jaws, when it came out, um, was a well. Uh, what was the rating at that time? There was a, double A, U. Um, anyway, Jaws has been twelve A now, whereas it used to be PG essentially. It Jaws, can't have been a PG. I, I, I promise you, Jaws was a when it came out. Jaws was they expected Amy to you know to go and see it. Everyone, it's a film for the family. Well, yeah, I wow. I I think it works. <laughs> but still, Amy hasn't watched it. One day, one day she'll she'll turn <laughs> up. She'll go, Dad, I'm ready. Mm. Well, I'm going to watch Jaws. Well, I hope it isn't her omen. Well, it, uh, it, it may be. Um, uh, although she's older than when I watched The Omen. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. She's very mature for her age, though. So who she knows? What, what, she, she'd day. probably cope with Jaws, to be honest, but I'm not sure she'd swim in the sea again. No. Well, she might not get. <laughs> I don't know. With the weather things are going, she might not be able to. Um, oh, so I was from in the UK. Get the wetsuits on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you get a lot of shark attacks on Woolacan Beach, don't you? So, yeah, not, not really. Not really. Um, <laughs> so, how are you into how? So, you're introducing this character. Um, Rog sees, uh, so Danny Glover sees Mel Gibson for the first time. Um, sees him, he's getting his gun out in the police because he's a policeman, but, but Danny Glover doesn't know that. So, it's gone and goes to do it. Mel Gibson flips. Flips him and basically says, you know, puts the gun at him. He goes, Roger, say hello to your new partner. Mm. And of course, he has to utter at that point, I'm too old for this <laughs> stuff. Um, then you introduce he- the bad guy. And I think the bad guys in this aren't that bad. No, they're not. No. I mean, Gary Boosie tests his loyalty by holding his, holding his arm above the lighter um, to show loyalty because obviously he's talking with the person who's going to buy the drugs. Um, and you're like, is is that it? Hmm. It doesn't seem particularly. Uh... So, so there's your introduction to the bad guys. It's like, oh, okay. I expected a little bit more, but it's fine. It doesn't, hmm. doesn't matter. The, the interesting thing was as well, because I didn't quite uh, remember this from the first time I watched it. Uh, the autopsy of Amanda uh, said that she was actually poisoned. Yes. Um, so if she hadn't have died by jumping, she would have already been dead anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of jumping, the next scene you have is, <laughs> I mean, you've got, you, you've got to, I think you've got to look at this, this film in a series of moments and you've got the car park scene where Roger is basically like, I don't want to be your partner. I, I don't, you know, and Mel's, Mel Gibson's like, well, I don't particularly want to be yours. You know, he, he's they're, they're just there was no trust because they zero had, trust. They are very different people, and they don't know what each other's been through. And you know, Roger thinks Mel's a bit mad because he's been has he been diagnosed formally no. by the force or no? But obviously, everybody in the force thinks he's the guy that gets the job done. But 
might not be how you expect it to be done. <laughs> not by the book. Not by the book. <laughs> oh, certainly, as we now move move into that, he certainly gets the jumper down. He gets he, he gets not the jumper you wear. <laughs> but he's but he's asked. You need to bring him down. Yeah, and he does, and he satisfies a requirement on that. But it's funny and, though, because like, he, he, are you going to talk about that scene or not? Yeah, well, no, you talk about the scene because I think okay. the important bit's the one after. Yeah. So he he goes up uh, and basically says, "Yeah, I, I'm trained. It's fine. I've I've done it before." <laughs> <laughs> you just think, mm, not quite sure about that, but okay. Uh, so he goes up, talks to the guy. Uh, offers him a cigarette, doesn't really want it, and then um, gets on the ledge with him. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, and then there's there's Roger going, don't get on the ledge, don't get on, don't get <laughs> oh, on the ledge. Oh. <laughs> you know. Um, and then he's he's talking to this guy and then um, offers him like something else, doesn't he? And then all of a sudden he handcuffs himself to him. But he takes the light. So he gets a cigarette. When he gets the light, he handcuffs himself and goes to the key. Bye bye. Yeah, and then he says, <laughs> "Okay, okay." And then, and then he's talking about you know understanding the reason to want to do that to kill yourself off off the side of a building. And then he was like, "Do you really want to jump? Let's do, do it together." <laughs> and then it, the, the guy's literally got no choice, and he jumps. <laughs> so the guy's got to jump with him. And they come to the ground because, like, they've obviously jumped on the um, the air bed thing at the bottom. The cushion, yeah. Yeah. And um, Mal Briggs says, um, oh, that was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, mm, okay. <laughs> he obviously it's- has got a little bit of a screw loose. He likes the, uh, the adrenaline and the, uh, you know, the rush. Yeah, he, he does. But I mean, when you're looking at the, you've got the the whole scene after that where Danny Glover's like, um, "We need to talk. This something something's really wrong." Like yeah, drags, it, drags the... him into that abandoned store, mm. um, and again, this is another point, a point of which it changes. Where he says basically, "Come on, then, you know, uh, pull the trigger." You know, if you are really suicidal, and I just thought Mel Gibson opens up to him and goes, "There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about doing this." And Danny Glover's like, "Pretty much, I don't care." Mm. You know, go ahead and do it, uh, and he does, and he stops him. The trigger goes. So, th- again, a, a, a sort of really powerful scene. You know, he says, "Use my gun," and it's just like, oh, it's just really. Um. So, yeah. Um. So they're driving along. They uh, go to interview one of the suspects um, at the swimming pool, and Mel Gibson ends up saving Danny Glover's life because the guy that he thought he'd shot was still still alive, um, and he manages to uh, to save his life. Again, it that changes, um, and they go and see Dixie as well, don't they? Yeah, the uh, the prostitute that saw. Uh, that, that well saw the thing, but it basically helped set up Amanda Amanda Huntsecker. Um yeah. So they go see Dixie. Dixie's house blows up spectacularly. Mm. Um but you know, 
from there, Danny Glover invites him to the house. So the fact that he saved his life has brought them sort of closer together. And instantly he's then brought into the family environment. Mm. And he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do to start with. He's confident. He's always confident, but he doesn't really know what's going on. And Roger's daughter um, takes a shine to him. Takes a shine to him. Um, Do you want a weird thing, which is kind of like trivia time? Danny Danny Glover, when he filmed this, was 40. His daughter was 25. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't look 25. He's 25. 25, apparently. There's 15 years between them. Do you want to have a go? Of, uh, so, uh, so he's supposed to be 50 and Danny Glover's 40. How old um, was Mel Gibson supposed to be and how old was Mel Gibson? Well, what year is this? 87. 87. He said he was serving in 69. Right. Vietnam. Okay. So he must have at least been 18 in 69, which makes him... Born in 50, so he was probably 37, 38. Perfect. He's supposed to be 38. <coughs> How old go. actually was he? How old was he? Yeah. Ooh, uh, 87. Look at those cogs going around, everyone. I can see it. Uh, was he about 40? He was 30. It was 30? Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. There you go. Um, anyway, but the fa- the family welcome, let's get back to the family. Family welcome him with, with open arms. He's having a beer on the boat, which he's got in the back, uh, parked in the front, front uh, driveway. Drive. Um, and yeah, do you know, it just, it starts to work. It starts to, you know, the bit that you've seen them clash with each other, it starts to work. Um, well, Roger doesn't really know anything about boats, does he? But you can see, obviously, uh, Riggs does know a yes. thing or two about boats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, why he's fixing his boat at night, I have no idea. I think I it's mean, an excuse to just go and have a beer, isn't it? And have yeah, a but you don't need to fix it, because if I was the neighbour, I'd be going, uh, can you keep it down? It's like <laughs> half ten. I've got kids trying to sleep, and he's going clank, 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 clank. I've got to get up early for a, a nurse's shift. <laughs> oh, yes, we know. <laughs> yes, we won't go into that. We may be going into that another day. But uh, mm. anyway, you've got... Um, Roger going through, uh, he gets sent, um, is it a video of um, Amanda Huntsecker because she's gone into the porn business? Yeah. Um, and he's got the yearbook and he's looking at the TV and looking at the yearbook and looking at the TV, looking at the yearbook and can't understand how she, she's she's got to where she is. But um, they, you've got the, um, the shooting range bit, which comes next, which I think is a great scene. Um, you know, it's uh, we can't. I mean, to just describe it is w- wouldn't do it any justice whatsoever. Suffice to say, is Mel Gibson is a better shot than Danny Glover. But they made a mistake because the fire shots don't add up to the number of he bullet holes. He finds a smiley face. Yeah, and bullet holes not, in, the, right. in the in the um. I don't know what they call it. Target paper, I suppose. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so it was after this bit, they go and go to Dixie's house because they need to quiz her and say, what's your part in all of this? Because they kind of think that they know. 
Um, there's kids there looking at that, looking at the house. You know, they, they, there's kids in the neighbourhood. The house blows up. They interview the kids, and one of them went, "Do you know what this guy looked like?" Well, he was tall, so he's describing Gary Boosie. He's describing Mr. Joshua. Mm. But then he said, "Well, is there anything else you can tell me?" He goes, "Yeah, he had a tattoo like 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 yours, like mm. Mel Gibson's," and you're like going, "Wow, okay." Um, so Joshua was part of the uh, of the same operation, even and though the device as well. I found bits of the device, didn't they? He that's right. And, and he said mercury switches, mercury switches. That's right. Yeah, special forces tattoo and mercury switches. So obviously. Um, Joshua served in Vietnam at the time that um, they never met. No, but I think they're from a from. It's like you know the in the UK, the army and the navy, or whichever forces in you're in, you don't like the other forces. <laughs> there's that like a competitive rivalry between them, isn't there? So I yeah, suppose there's, there's that element between him and Joshua as well. And that just reminds me of the line in A Few Good Men with Kiefer Sutherland to Tom Cruise, where he get where because obviously Kiefer Sutherland is a Marine. And he says to Tom Cruise, I love you, Navy boys. Every, every, you give us a lift to wherever, wherever we need to go. And it's just <laughs> like, and that, and that seems to fit with what you just said, I think, really. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Roger goes to meet Michael Huntsecker and basically goes, you know, your daughter was murdered, basically. And he goes, yes, mm-hmm. uh, I'm part of this operation. I'm part of a heroin smuggler. And he's going, well, why didn't they kill you? He says, well, I'm too vital to the operation. Mm. Well, not vital enough. Uh, well, he's worried because he's got another daughter. He's you got don't ever see her. No. Um, but he's got another daughter he's worried about because, you know, the 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 those upper echelons in the criminal world uh, may use her uh, as bait or uh, ransom or whatever. Yeah. So uh, you find out then, don't you, that the heroin shipments have been organised on the back of Vietnam, isn't it, or something? Well, I think he's just he, he, this. The general was involved in all of this, mm. and there's, in, uh, you know, it's so a bit it's like CIA mercenaries, soldiers as well. So like Die Hard too, where they they pack the um the the army the uh, the special forces with their own people so yeah mm. uh, yes so, we watched um, die hard he, too didn't we Hunt, uh yeah we did huntsecker uh is basically uh the front man so hiding all the sort of financial transactions going through the company um so he feels he's too important to kind of and he can't pull out of of the whole thing because you know he's in it too deep he said yeah but yeah but suddenly helicopter appears mr joshua shoots shoots him while he's holding a carton of carton of milk uh and he's drinking out the carton of milk and the carton of milk explodes because he's been shot uh so obviously he's expendable um but then you see <laughs> When we talk about action films, and the reason why this film came to mind is I always remember this scene is you look at the determination on Mel Gibson's face while he's mm-hmm. fire, firing at that. He's literally not even dropping the gun. He's just changing the magazine and he's just shooting at this helicopter for, for a lot more money. And it's this bit coupled with what happens next because Riggs fakes his own death. He gets shot by Mr. Joshua. He appears again outside while he's quizzing people about um, 
uh, Dixie, and he's quizzing mm. the, the other ladies of the night um, about Dixie. Um, <laughs> well, he's got his, uh, so many times I can say prostitute. So yeah, he's got his uh, bulletproof vest on. But there. he's got his bulletproof vest. Absolutely. Now, after that, um, he finds out that Joshua has kidnapped his daughter. So in a very, very short space of time, Mel Gibson's gone from the incidental person, here, here, sweetheart, I just want to introduce you to my new partner and come and meet my lovely family, to we are in this together. Yeah. We are 100% trusting each other. We, we, you need to trust, you know, you need to trust and all this sort of thing. I think he recognises Riggs's qualities, you know, what he can actually bring to the, I mm. hate the phrase, bring to the table, um, but what he can bring um, from his experience. And, you know, he was a sniper um, shooter, wasn't he? Um, he? He famously capped someone, as he said, from a thousand, in, um, what, a, k- a kilometre away, basically. Mm. So, you know, that's that's no mean feat. So he's mm. obviously, you know, got his brain wide in a way that, uh, you know, Roger hasn't. And I think he sees that, you know, that, that actually can be a real advantage to to solving this um, kidnap of his daughter, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the bad guys arrange a trade uh, and basically say, um, you obviously have been told everything by Michael Hunsecker, so we need to know what you need to know. We need to know what you know. Um, so they arranged this trip, three three cars, well, two, two cars and a limo um, <laughs> in the middle of a desert with a helicopter. That's so um, many people. But you've got, you know, I, I love the way Mel Gibson does some, does, does running. You know, we, we talked about Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise just runs. Running. Run. Tom Completely Cruise running. different style to Absolutely. Mel Gibson. Mel, Mel Gibson's running. almost on his tiptoes and doesn't Mel, really uh, use his arms a lot, whereas yeah. uh, whereas Tom Cruise is all like that old school kind <laughs> yeah. of like running 100 metres. at your Like Forrest Gump. Yeah. Sports day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Mel Gibson gets dropped off by Danny Glover and runs into the, the position he's going to be sniping from. I, think, I must liken, actually, Mal Gibson's rubbing, rubbing, running. It's not rubbing anything. <laughs> Mal Gibson's running like a We didn't talk about Mel Gibson's bare, bare ass at the start of the year uh, because in the 80s and early 90s, he got his ass out a lot. He did, didn't and he? And if I had Mel Gibson's ass, I would too. Well, there's a, there's a compliment there, darling. Uh, a, you where? have a lovely bottom. Oh. <laughs> right. Not that everybody needs to know that, but anyway, right. That's the end of the podcast, everyone. We're, we're going to, uh, anyway, right. Um <laughs> You're not going right. red, are you? Oh, I'm always red. <laughs> that's I'm like um I'm like the Hulk, BAC. That's the thing. I'm always angry. Oh. Um anyway, so the arranged trade. It's it's brilliant because Danny Glover goes, let's see my daughter. Daughter comes out and he goes, right, show me your hands. And he pulls out and he's got a grenade. He said, don't be silly. You're not going to kill your daughter. He goes, if, if, if I'm going to die, if she's going to die, she's going to die on my terms. Mm. And you're kind of like, wow, this is brilliant. Um, they shoot him and Mr. Joshua shoots him in the arm. He drops the grenade. The grenade goes off. That is the cue for Mel Gibson to start doing his Mel Gibson stuff. But it's not a blow, blowy-uppy brigade, uh, grenade. Brigade? Blowy-uppy grenade, is it? 
it's uh, just like a smoke yeah. uh, grenade. Now, I love the way that this whole scene is shot. I think I said to you at the start at the time, I love it. Mm. I love the, the way things, right? I love the way that, that right at the end, there's a top down shot where you can see all these different things going on. Oh, loved it. But Mel Gibson is having a field day with the sniper rifle mm. um, and he's going for it. Um, uh, unfortunately, Riggs, just as he's about to shoot Mr. Joshua, the general says, yeah, you need to put the gun down. You're not that quick, son. Um, and they capture them both. So they capture the three of them. They, they mm. obviously, the daughter tries to get away in the in the limo. Um, you didn't like that particular scene. You did tut at that <laughs> scene. God. With a helicopter, she, you she said just stop literally driving. Kept driving straight with the helicopter above her. Now, yeah. surely anyone in their right mind would slam the brakes on and then turn a different way. You know, I mean, I know the helicopter's got the advantage of aerial, and you know, it's it can move fast and whatever. But you know, she just ended up being stupid, not using her noggin, her brain. <laughs> what I would, well, you need to get away. Yeah, traumatized. You've just been held captured by the bad guys. They don't appear to have done anything to you yet, at that point. Um, even though there's some threat of it in the next scene, um, what are you going to do? Just keep driving around in circles until the, the the helicopter runs out of. She wasn't even doing that. She just dro- oh, drove in a straight line because she's trying to get away. Oh. You're not going to stay in the desert all the day. I mean, anyway, so. Um, we have the, I would say probably most people remember the torture scene with Mel Gibson strung up with water coming down him. And mm. this is where we get the the guy, Al Jong from Die Hard, um, as the torturer. Um, torturer. With the electric stuff. Yeah, they, you see that. You see Danny Glover being punched. He's been tied up in the chair. He's been repeatedly tied up. They pour salt into his wounds. So this is, again, I think a brilliant piece of directing. It cuts from Mel Gibson's screams to Danny Glover's screams to know that they're both in it together. Mm. They're both experiencing bad, you know, one is, they're both experiencing bad things um, in their own way. Um, they bring uh, Danny Glover's daughter out um, and basically say, hint that they're going to do bad things to her and uh, all this sort of stuff. Meanwhile, Mel Gibson's there and the, the torturer comes back for what he thinks is going to be round two. But Mel Gibson leaps into action, puts his arms around him and snaps his neck with his um, special forces training. And boom, the, 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 the uh, torturer is no more. And the himself. stupid thing is, he's, he's, his hands are bound to, like wrists are bound together, but then they've hooked him on this really small hook. Yeah. And you're like, well, he'll be able to hook himself off at any moment. And like with your hands bound together, you could easily, you know, get hold of somebody and strangle them. Uh, I, I like the, the, the neck snapping scene. Um, I thought that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. That's great. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just felt that, that was a little bit lacking. Okay. It's not really. Mm. Um, you've got the escape from the club. Um, they they weirdly they he rescues Roger he rescues his daughter there's all these people being shot left right and center it's wonderful it's wonderfully 80s they then go through the club they shoot one of the bad guys and everyone's still watching the band <laughs> and I'm like thinking if I heard that I go did you just hear somebody shot and then you'd look over and you'd see a guy 
he's trying to conceal his gun, but he walks through the crowd and somebody comes up to him. He just goes, bam, 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 straight point blank. And you're like, Maybe it was a regular wow. occurrence in that club. Well, so it wasn't, you know, anything maybe, special. Like the club in Dick Tracy. But yeah, um, <laughs> where Madonna sings, of course. Hmm. Um, sorry. So uh, Mr. Joshua is trying to get away. You've got this wonderful shootout. And then you've got Mel Gibson running. And Mel like Gibson running. Oh, Mel Gibson just looks, can I just say, Mel Gibson looks He's a beautiful man. He's a good-looking man. I mean, he's in this movie. Yeah. Oh, he is. He's right. And when he's I, running I down that road, bit. he's running down the road, and he's got his uh, sniper. You know, he's got his rifle, his assault rifle. He's going after Mister Joshua. This is the only thing that's in his mind. Nothing is going to stop him. Um, oh, I just love. I love the scene. It's just. It's just wonderfully eighties. The general, however, is trying to get away, but Roger does his. This is where you first see the um, the old Danny Glover tilts his neck <laughs> before he lines up the shot. Um, he shoots uh, the wrong guy. He shoots the driver. Well, who else, who else are you going to shoot? Well, you're going to shoot him the and car. then you shoot the driver. No, shoot surely. the driver and the car stops. But it didn't, though, did it? Well, it, eventually it did. I mean, it came it out and it got hit by some, it got hit by a bus. Because Mob Guy was then steering it because he's, you know, it was obviously an automatic. Yeah. Mob Guy was steering the car. Yeah, but not very um, well because he got hit by a bus. Yeah, wow. Well, anyway. Anyway, I don't know how, but then we get to the final scene of the film, which is I don't Riggs tries to catch up with Joshua. Joshua abandons his car, um, finds out and kick, you know, uh, uh appropriates an Audi, chucks this guy out of his Audi. And then you're thinking, how did how did um Riggs and Myrtle make it back to Myrtle's house hmm. before they did? Because Mr. Joshua comes in. There's a note on the Christmas tree. Um, oh, God, I should have written down what the note said. There's nothing here. Dear bad guy, there's nothing here but us good guys. Um, you know, you're too late. And then the police car comes through the the, the window. Mr. Joshua is then beaten. Mm. So they're both pointing the gun at him saying, got to come with us now. I sensed that you didn't, you didn't, uh, the, the the final scene of Riggs against Mr. Joshua. It was unnecessary. Yeah, I, I think that you thought it was superfluous. It was just not needed. It That would never have happened. <clears throat> okay. And I think this is where I reduced the score to seven and a half, because I think it would have been an eight, eight and a half. But wow. I just felt that end bit. I, I don't know what they were trying to do, whether it, because of the fire hydrant that got, knocked over and it was all spewing out water and they were they were in the garden so it was all muddy i don't know if it was supposed to be representing some kind of vietnam well if you remember what he says do you fancy a shot at the title yeah so i just thought it was a little bit kind of like "Mm, really sure this fits delightful that that this is that that you know he's beat do you want do you want a shot do you want to see if you can take me do you want to have that certainty? Because we're both in the same team. There was both special be, forces. Yeah, yeah, we're both supposed to be equal. Do you fancy a shot at it? Um, I get that. But in reality, that would not have happened. You would have had the police. so many yeah. cops around yeah. them. 
Well, he's got nowhere to go. And they got, got him in go. cuffs straight away. Yeah, but the, he's got nowhere to go. He's surrounded by police. He's not like he's. When it, it's not like if he beats Mel Gibson, then he goes, "Hey, I'm fine." Does that mean I win a pass? Does that mean I can go? No, he's still going to be arrested or possibly shot, depending on what you do. But yeah, he decides to. He's beaten, and he decides to take the police. Uh, or was it different in the eighties? Was that permissible in the eighties? I don't know because it, it wouldn't be permissible now. I think a lot of things were permissible in the eighties. <laughs> not now, and the reason why I my my head pretty much probably lives in the eighties um, mm. in that way. Mm. But yeah, um, I, I I think it's a great scene. Um, it's all and then, right. And then you have that wonderful wonderful image of Mr. Joshua taking the police officer's gun to try and shoot them. It all goes a nice yeah. slow-mo. And you've got the two of them. Mel Gibson has been beaten up. I mean, Danny Glover has just recently been beaten up. So, I mean, yeah, but mm. Mel Gibson, obviously, just just then, they both pull their guns and blow them away. That's mm. just great. It's just great. And, you know, let's 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 have a little hat tip to the end of Lethal Weapon 2 um, of, of how that is sort of... Yeah. Anyway, if we're going to go and watch it, I'll not not spoil that. Yeah, don't that. spoil it. All right. Okay. Um, uh, and then you got a you got a really nice ending because Mel Gibson, whose his arms all in, strapped up, uh, everything, um, goes to Danny Glover's house to give him a Christmas present. What's a Christmas present? Hang on a minute. With an arm strapped up, surely insurance wise, you wouldn't be able to drive. He's got an automatic. An automatic. Even in an automatic. You can't but, just have one arm, surely. Well, sorry, I'm just looking at my book. I'm just wondering. I hadn't actually put insurance insurance <laughs> claims and, and insurance cover. Uh, okay. Well, that's, so what, makes our, like, that's what makes our podcast stand out is because somebody's thinking about how did Mel Gibson drive to the house? Oh, you've got plenty of this to come in 2022. I... I Oh, crikey. Anyway, um, bless you, listeners. You, you are you are lovely. Anyway, what did he give him? What did he give his daughter t- to give to um, uh, Danny Glover? His bullet with a bow around. Absolutely. So doesn't need, won't doesn't be need needing this. Won't be needing it. That is, that is a perfect way to end this film. Because it doesn't end, because the door comes open. He goes, if you think I'm going to eat my, uh, my, my <laughs> wife's Sunday roast, your wife's Sunday roast, well, it was there. It was Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner. I don't uh, honestly yeah. know how she was supposed to have cooked Christmas dinner with a with a car that had come through the side of the house. Oh, it's all pasted up though. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, but, you know, they wouldn't be like that. Structurally, wouldn't be sound. Maybe, maybe the neighbours have been they, moved out to alternative accommodation. Surely, yeah, but maybe the neighbours they hadn't annoyed by working on their boat at half ten said, <laughs> you, "You can use our kitchen." Maybe I don't know. But even if you did, you'd be stood over going. Why are you cooking carrots like that? That's, ooh. I think and carrots were the least of the problem. Somebody needs to tell her, and I can't remember if it's Lethal Weapon 2 or 3. Somebody needs to tell her she's a bad cook. Hmm. Yeah, they should have done it. Well, anyway. he, he lets the dog in as well, doesn't he? He calls the, the dog from the car. That's right, can I invite somebody else? Can I invite a special someone? And yeah. uh, the dog comes in and then like <laughs> all hell lets loose because of uh, Roger's cat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so all you hear are these things getting knocked over, cat noises, and and then he's adjusting a bulb and th- mutters the infamous line. Yeah, that's I'm it. I'm too old for this. Too old for this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, shall we get on to time marches on? Shall we get to uh, trivia time? 
Yeah, go on then. Okay, it's trivia time. Trivia time. So, Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis were considered for each other's roles in Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. Let's yeah, come out. Let's come out fighting. There, there are love, nice comparisons in this film. I know we talked about the Beretta. Who and do you think gun. would have worked? Do you think they got the combination right with Bruce Willis in Die Hard? Or do you think Bruce Willis would have worked? That's a really good question that I hadn't thought about. Weapon. Bruce Willis wouldn't have worked in Lethal Weapon. Not at all. Um, Bruce Willis. Even with his yippee ki <laughs> Well, you wouldn't have had, you know, you wouldn't have had that. I mean, Shane Black wouldn't have written anything like that. So No, I know. I'm joking. But, but yeah, um, would Mel Gibson have worked to John McClane? I think we're, we're fighting against our instinct, which is that they both are perfect in their roles. So I think they would have made them into slightly different nuanced characters. I don't think you would have. I don't. I'm not being funny. I don't think Bruce Willis has the acting chops of Mel Gibson. Well, uh, uh, look, don't get me wrong. This is a nine die out of 10. And part of that is Bruce Willis's, you know, so why have you marked the film higher if he's not as good at that? Well, it doesn't matter because because there is a better lethal weapon film out there. Right. That's the only reason. Otherwise, it would be a 10. Okay. This is the invention of the buddy cop film, the, the whole reason why we're doing season five. This is what we base it on. When, when, when we come across other duos, we're going to do 48 hours at some point. You're going to look at that through the prism of this and you're going to go, did they, I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but did they get it right then and this just made it better or was that or whatever? But we, we will go into that. Uh, <clears throat> both movies were produced by Joel Silver uh, with music by Michael Kamen. So the, the, you can sense that there's part of the music in Die Hard that seems a, a little weapon that is Come used on, again in Die Hard. Eric Clapton doing yes, some music in uh, Eric film. Clapton did some music, but the score was done by Michael Kamen. And oh, okay. you, you can literally, when you're, when you're watching it, I'm like thinking, did they just take that and put that in Die Hard? That little bit of music, that little... Anyway. You've um, watched them far too much. Yes, absolutely. Um, Willis was offered the role of Martin Riggs, but turned it down and then did Die Hard. Gibson was rumoured, uh, was considered to play John McClane, um, along with his co-stars from The Expendables 3. Harrison Ford was offered it. Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger were offered Martin Riggs. I don't think that would have Neither worked. Neither of them, none of them would have worked. I, I, I don't think. Um, they all turned it down. Coincidentally, the script for Die Hard with a Vengeance, i.e. Die Hard 3, was briefly considered to be filmed as a Lethal Weapon sequel. Mm. Doesn't work. The, the whole point is, it's Hans Gruber's brother. And I know you can tweak the script, but the games that they play, uh, actually, they, well, actually, now that I say it, I can see... Briggs and Myrtle playing the games because you've got Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> um, love this next one. The scene where she jumps off the uh, balcony at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, she performed, Jackie Swanson performed the high fall on her own. She was trained by legendary stuntman Dar Robinson, uh, who I believe uh, had a hand in uh, Death Proof, I think. I'm just, uh, I might be completely wrong on that. Um, also, the stunt was done using an airbag covered with a life-size painting of the driveway and the cars. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, like a foreground miniature, visually blends into the real scene. Thus, the editor is able to hold the shot just as she makes contact with the airbag 
for greater realism. And I think it's it is, and it works. Oh, pardon me. Sorry, to cough there. You don't need to hear that. So yeah, I, I I love that. I love the fact that Mel Gibson turned down a starring role in The Fly, and the role of Elliot Ness in The Untouchables to Ooh. do this movie. Yeah, and you would have thought, what 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 would that have done for Mel Gibson if he'd played Elliot Ness and I don't know Bruce Willis had played this? Uh, yeah, you can play these sliding doors moments back and think what would have happened, but there's no doubt about it. This is the film. That it's done some great. I mean, Mad Max put him on the on the everyone's radar. This is the film that cemented him. Um, I think. Anyway, an alternate opening and ending of the film uh, available on the Lethal Weapon Four DVD. It's also available on the Blu-ray set that I've got. I've got one to four in Blu-ray. The alternate opening featured Riggs drinking alone in a bar, where he's accosted by a couple of thugs who want his money. Riggs claims all of his is in the bank, and tells the thugs not to f with him. The thugs attack him, but Riggs easily subdues them. He's allowed to take a free bottle of booze from the bar in exchange for never returning. Richard Donner felt the movie should open with a brighter look at Riggs and film the scene with Riggs awakening in his trailer to replace it. The alternate ending featured Riggs and Myrtle saying goodbye to one another. Myrtle tells Riggs he's thinking of retiring, but Riggs says, you can't do that. That's a, that, that would have been nice. I think we... I'd love to go back and look at the deleted scenes and mm. see whether or not that would have been. And we, you know, add it to the list, sweetheart. Um, uh, so Shane Black's first draft of Lethal Weapon, which he wrote in 1985, was very different. Um, the first draft was 141 pages long. It was much darker. Alternate plot parts, character scenes, action sequences, and many different, like an entire ending, which has a big chase scene, including a police helicopter, which gets blown up by Mr. Joshua who fires a napalm missile at it, causing it to crash into the Hollywood sign and start a huge fire. Uh, Murtar kills General McAllister while he's driving a truck full of heroin and guns, which then crashes and explodes over the Hollywood hills, calling he- causing heroin to start snowing <laughs> over the burning Hollywood sign. Mm, as a, Riggs, a, a metaphor. And Riggs killing Joshua by stabbing his fingers through Joshua's eye right into his brain. Um, Riggs was also a much different character in the first draft uh, and a lot more mentally unstable. Mm. For example, in the original scene where he kills the sniper, which is shooting at the kids, instead of using his gun, um, uh, in the original version of a scene that they film with the sniper, he uses a rocket launcher to blow up the sniper um, after he shot and killed several kids. There's no kids killed in the version that we saw. They're just being pinned down. In another part of the script, he uses ninja stars to wound one of the vigils and then tortures the guy he's just throwing the star at for information. I'm like, I'm so glad they made this version. Although, I, you know, I, I'd be, I'd like that. But Richard Donner thought that no matter how many drafts he wrote, Shane Black's original script was way too dark for his liking. So he brought in a writer uh, called Jeffrey Bohm for some uncredited rewriting to add a bit more bits of humour into the script. Um, for example, in the scene, and I know we're still talking about it, where Riggs kills a psycho sniper, there was originally going to be a part showing one dead kid carried on one of the ambulance things. Almost all of the other graphic parts of Black Script were bloody than in the film. Donna still deleted some scenes for being too dark despite filming them. Um, uh, and yeah, but uh, 
It is. It's just um, there, there's another film there, but at the same time, it's still a Shane Black script, and you can still see that. And again, um, his crowning glory will be uh, Lethal Weapon Two, which we'll see, mm. which we'll watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, on the did you notice on the fridge? By the way, there was a sticker about ending apartheid in South Africa. Yes. Yes. Nice queue up for Lethal Weapon Two for the bad guys. In Lethal Weapon 2, I know, we keep mentioning it. Um, uh, and then uh, the fight scene between Riggs and Joshua was originally four minutes longer, but was cut down for pacing. I don't think it could have gone on for much longer. No. Four minutes. Wow. So that's why it explains some continuing mistakes in the final version of the scene. Um, yeah. Uh, Shane Black used two ideas in the film, The Last Boy Scout as well, which he wrote. The main bad actor uh, tries to apprehend the leading villain with gunfire on an overpass bridge and makes a big jump to get closer. Uh, The other one being the main villain killing the police officer in a car after a short conversation, which Mr. Joshua does. Um, That's it for trivia time. Mm -hmm. I just thought we'd just make it nice and Mm -hmm. snappy and and that. Um, So, yeah, there we have it. Lethal Weapon. Hope Hope you've... enjoyed it it's probably about the same running time of this podcast as, as that for the film but <laughs> but um and look just just go and just go and watch them i think you can buy the box set for something like I, I mean i paid i think nine quid um on amazon i'm sure you can get it second hand um but yeah so nine out of ten and seven and a half out of ten there you go not not bad considering die hard was nine nine and ten um no prices for guessing who gave the ten um but it's. I, I think we're going to have real fun with this season. I do. Um, got the next film. Well, we've got plenty to plenty to choose from. Um, so yeah, I think you pick the next film because I, I always wanted to start. I, I thought Die Hard was a natural place to start because of the Christmassy thing. This is still Christmassy. <laughs> um, that's it. But I think we need to watch, and I think we needed to cover Lethal Weapon to judge everything else that comes after that. Yeah. We've had um, two uh, corking films, really, haven't we, to open in this season? We've had what? Two corking films. Corkers, absolute corkers, absolute corkers. Who knows? We might end up doing Lethal Weapon at the end, <laughs> at the end of Lethal Weapon 2 at the end. Um, I was the, thinking that. Oh, I know, but that, that means I've got to wait like four, three months or four months in order to watch Lethal Weapon 2. Um, I can't do that. Um, right. Anyway, so lovely listeners, you can find us on, and we're going to start ramping this up. I think we're going to start doing a bit more with Instagram. I've learned all about tags, how you tag things on YouTube and how you, you grow the audience. So hopefully the audience, you're already part of it, lovely listeners, but hopefully we're going to get some other people that are going to come and join us in our, in our one big podcast, happy family, uh, listening zone. Um, enjoy. Uh, yeah. And and if you we we genuinely want to hear from you, you can contact us on Instagram, Rusty J Pod. You can contact us on Facebook. Just look for Rusty Junk. We're the only ones on there. There are no Peter Weller fan club sites from Leviathan that mention Rusty Junk. It's just us. So you can just go and search for us. Um, we don't do so much on Twitter. We weren't getting an, an awful lot of traction on Twitter. Is certainly is not what we are on Facebook. Um, so if you feel like you want a cops and robbers film. Don't think of it as purely, you know, cops versus robbers. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be Heat. I know Heat's 1995, but, 
you know, it doesn't have to be this. It's, it just has to be cops and robbers. If you've got something you want to, to cover, um, if you're a listener 17 and you want to get in touch, um, by all means, because you recommended the sure thing. And I think Amanda loved that. So, yeah, I yeah. did. Love that. So there you go. Um, so enjoy and, you know, keep some, keep some recommendations coming in, keep in touch uh, and we'll see you next time. So thanks for listening. Uh, it's nice to be back. Yeah. Okay. Cheerio. Doodle pip. Thank <laughs> you.